You know, as I thought about uh, a couple months ago, uh, what focus we should have for uh, we should have for this year as a church, uh, there were a lot of things that came into my mind: uh, church growth, uh, church expansion, um, church parking lot. Uh, <laughs> That would probably not be a very good theme, though, right? <laughs> uh, church unity would be a good and valid theme. Uh, we were about to enter a new year of ministry here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I thought it would be good for us to have our focus this year on Jesus Christ. Because really, it is all about Him anyway. According to Colossians chapter 1, if you want to turn over there, this is a little bit lengthy of a passage. Keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 5. But if you flip over to Colossians chapter 1, pick it up in verse number 12, uh, because this gives us kind of the, the heartbeat of why we're doing this theme called For Christ Alone. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. So, and we're not done reading here, but I just want to stop and say this. You exist for Him. I exist for Him. This church exists for Him. And for Him alone, for Christ alone. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And the next verse says, And He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He, Jesus, might have the preeminence. May He not be just prominent, may He be preeminent. And there's a difference there. He is the one and only. Not necessarily the most important, but the one and only. There is a difference. And so this, this, this year, I want to challenge our church and each of us individually to have our focus this year to be on Christ, and to be on Christ alone. I have in my, I have in my office a, a picture with a saying, this, live, lead, and preach for an audience of one. And so I look at this often. I looked at it this morning before I came into this room as a reminder that Jesus Christ is the one I'm living for. He is the greatest audience in this room. And I know you might be thinking, well, aren't we the audience? Well, yeah, I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to me too, by the way. Uh, as I do this, there are at least three other fingers pointing back at me. But I'm preaching to you, but really I'm preaching for Him. He is the one that I am preaching for. He is the one I'm leading for, and He is also the one I'm living for. Well, you might be thinking that certainly applies to you, pastor, since you are indeed a pastor. Yes, it does obviously apply to me, but it applies to you as well. You see, this concept in the Bible is to do everything as unto Him. As you look at your roles and responsibilities in your life, I would urge you and challenge you to do them for Christ alone. 
think of the verse that says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I, my, my kids, I'm not going to, I want them to not listen, but their parents are not perfect. They, they, all, they obviously know that quite well, actually, uh, especially me. Uh, I'm definitely not perfect. My wife comes pretty close. But look, don't, don't obey me if we're perfect. Don't obey me because I'm necessarily worthy of obedience. Do it as unto Christ for Christ alone. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Once again, I'm not perfect. My wife is called by God to submit herself unto me, not because I'm so worthy of her submission, but because she's doing it as unto Christ or for Christ alone. And servants, you say, well, again, you're a pastor. You, you work for God. Yes, I do. <laughs> so do you. You say, well, no, I'm a, I, I do this or I do that. I, I work for another boss. Uh, Paul says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So as you go to work tomorrow, yeah, I get the fact that you're working for the man, but you're also working for the Lord. And, and, and do it as unto the Lord, not as unto the man. Colossians 3.23 sums up this whole thought. It says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So throughout our lives, our lives are to be lived for Christ alone. So no matter what you do in this life, do it for Him alone. So this morning, we're going to examine three very important aspects of living for Christ alone. Uh, Notice with me, first of all, the calling to live for Christ alone. And this goes back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to flip back over there, if you're not already there. Verse 15, we see our calling to live for Christ alone. Paul is trying to uh, shake the Corinthian church and tell them, look, You've been living for yourself too long. It's time now to live for Christ. Verse 15, And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. As believers, we've been given a special calling. Each one of us has this calling as believers. If you call yourself a Christian, if you've had a time in your life where you believed on Christ alone for salvation, then you have this calling to uh, live for Christ alone. What is this calling? First of all, it's a calling, letter A, to stop living for self. Paul here encourages the the church at at Corinth to to stop living for themselves. Verse 15, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. So this is a call to stop living for self. And one of the reasons Paul wrote this entire book, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians particularly, and also 2 Corinthians, was that the Corinthians were known for their selfish behavior. Uh, They were always concerned about themselves. And Paul is here trying to address that very topic and and saying, and, and we can benefit from that as well, because we tend ourselves to live for me. You know? got to take the selfie and how do I look in the selfie (laughs) 
I've never actually done that, so that was my first time seeing me do that. You know, all of us were born with a natural selfishness. Every one of us. We've had four children. And uh, I'll never forget when Seth was born. Uh, This did not happen, by the way. I did not have to, you know, after he he was born, I didn't have to, you know, get him and, and say, all right, Seth, let me show you how to throw a temper tantrum. I never had to teach him how to do that. He was a professional temper tantrum thrower from day one. Well, we thought, well, okay, well, that's, that's Seth. Wait till we get Luke. Wait till we get our next child. He's going to be much better. Technically, he was a little louder than Seth was uh, at throwing temper tantrums. Well, then Faith, oh, we have a girl now. She's going to be just sugar and spice and everything nice, and everything's going to be just dandy with her. Guess what? She was selfish, too. Well, then we had Mark. Those of you who know Mark, (laughs) Mr. Selfish, from day one, he was an expert at being selfish, and all of our children were, and guess what? So was I, and so were you. All of us are professional, selfish people. We're experts at that. We know how to be selfish. When, the, when small children are playing, a word that you'll often hear is the word mine. You see, we didn't like to share when we were young, and we don't like to share now because we're all naturally selfish. But God is calling us as believers to a life of selflessness. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, this is Jesus' words, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The hardest person sometimes to say no to is yourself. Because your needs, your feelings, your desires are so strong that you, you want to keep saying yes. But God is calling us from time to time to say no to ourself and to stop living for me. Isaiah chapter 14 records the story of uh, the account of when Lucifer fell from heaven. Uh, Lucifer, if you don't know, was a created being that resided in heaven. He was one of the anointed cherubims. He was a special angel in God's creation. Here's the sad story of Lucifer's fall from heaven. Isaiah 14 records it. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which just weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. You see, Lucifer had this selfishness creep into his heart. And he began to be lifted up in pride and thinking that he needed to be the one worshipped. He needed to be the one on the throne. Well, God said later, he said, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And he was kicked out of heaven. You know, God doesn't have any room for selfishness. And when you and I get, we rise up in ourselves and say, I'm going to be and I'm going to do and it's my life. 
It's my future. It's my body. It's me. You can't tell me what to do. Look, once I got saved, once you got saved, we have a new calling. A calling to stop living for self. We should not henceforth live into themselves. But secondly, it's a calling to start living for the Savior. For Christ alone. Look, we're not just called to leave something. We're called to cleave to someone. You see, we're, we're called to leave living for self, and now we're supposed to cleave unto the Lord and to live for Christ alone. Paul says in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 19, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. You see, I have a new calling. I have a new purpose in my life. Romans 6, 20, 6 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness, again, unto God. Of course, who could forget Romans 12 and verse number 1, a very familiar verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. We're to start living for God and for Christ alone. 1 Thessalonians 5.10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. So really, there's two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And as Joshua said at the end of his life, he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I know there's a lot of Christians out there that, that don't understand this concept of living for Christ alone. And, and again, all of us from time to time tend to be selfish, tend to battle the, the self. Uh, we have three enemies, right? The, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And really the hardest one to, to fight against is the flesh. That's the worst enemy that we all have. Joshua said, look, you, you, you do what you're going to do. But as for me, and, and as for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. You cannot serve God and self at the same time. You've got to choose which one you're going to serve. And my challenge to all of us is individually this year to decide that we're going to live for Christ alone. We're going to stop living for me. We're going to start living for Him. As Jesus called, uh, called Peter and Andrew, remember those were the old fishermen out there on the fishing boat? The story is recorded in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren. Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. He said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what was their response? And they straightway left their nets and followed him. There's going to have to be a, a leaving of some things in order to follow him, in order to live for Christ alone. And then it, the story goes on, and going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. 
So there was a, an example here of, of men who were leaving something in order to be able to follow Christ. And so can I ask the question this morning, what are you holding on to that's keeping you from fully, fully following Jesus Christ? What are you holding on to that's keeping you back from fully following Christ? Peter and Andrew, they had to leave their fishing nets. James and John had to leave the boat that they were in, and even their dad. They were grown men at that point. It wasn't like, you know, these were, you know, 12-year-old kids going, See you later, Dad. I'm going to go follow the Lord. These were grown men, and it was time for them to decide who they were going to be. Are they going to be staying home with Mom and Dad in their basement? Or is it time to move on and follow Christ? And they chose to follow Christ. What's, what are you holding on to that's keeping you from fully following the Lord? Well, a lot of people, it's maybe a hobby, uh, maybe a habit, uh, maybe it's something, I don't know what it is for you, but what are you holding on to? Remember what the writer of Hebrews says to us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin with, with Dutch does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are called to lay aside every weight and the sin that holds us back. God, God has a race for all of us to run, a mission to accomplish, a purpose to fulfill, but we can't do that if we're holding on to all this weight of the sin that hinders us. Let's lay aside it all. Let's give it up for him. Can I remind us all that he gave everything up for you, for me? So him asking you to give up all is not asking too much because he was first willing to do it himself. Matthew 10 says, he, Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. We're to stop living for self, start living for the Savior. So that's our calling as believers. We have a new calling, a calling to live for Christ alone. But secondly, I want you to see with me this, this morning the, the constraining to live for Christ alone. What compels us, what constrains us to live for Christ alone? Look in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Constraineth, that word means to hold together, to compress, to arrest a prisoner, figuratively to compel, to hold, to keep in, or to press. And so as we look at the love of Christ in our life, it compels us, it holds us, it keeps us in, it presses us to live for Christ alone. There's uh, three aspects here that I want to point out. First of all, uh, why should we live for Christ alone? First of all, because of who He is. Because of who He is. Well, the question remains then, who is He? Who is this Jesus? Well, according to the Bible, get ready for this. He is the Almighty One. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is our advocate. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the bread of life. He is the beloved son of God. 
He is our bridegroom. He is the chief cornerstone. Amen, Cornerstone Baptist Church. He is our deliverer. He is the faithful and true one. He is our good shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the head of the church. He is the great I am. He is the Emmanuel, God with us. He is the unspeakable gift. He is the great judge. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the mediator, the Messiah, the mighty one, the one who sets free. He is our hope. He is our peace, our prophet. He is our redeemer, our risen Lord, our rock, our sacrifice for our sins. He is the savior of the world. He is the son of man. He is the son of the most high. He is the supreme creator over all. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the door. He is the way. He is the word. He is the true vine. He is the truth, the victorious one. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. That's who Jesus is. And that's why we should live for him alone. Because no one else can claim any of that. So why would we live for anyone else? You can't claim that. I can't claim that. Why would I live for me? He can claim it, and it's true. And therefore, we ought to live for him alone. Because of who he is. Secondly, because of what he said. What did he say? Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So likewise, Jesus said, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, you better forsake all so that you're able then to correctly and fully follow me. We get this idea that sometimes God came into our lives, God came to make our lives easy and convenient and comfortable. And in a sense, spiritually, he did because the Bible does say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And he said, "My, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. But he also told us to take up our cross and follow him and forsake all. And we need to be mindful of that, that the Christian life isn't just this bed of roses. We have to take, it's a a life of carrying a cross. And we gladly bear it for him. So we are constrained to live for Christ alone because of who he is and because of what he said. But thirdly, because of what he did. Because of what he did. 2 Corinthians 5, and look verse 21. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What did he do? He became your sin. Yes, he paid for your sin, but even more than that, spiritually speaking and theologically speaking, this is a difficult concept to, to grasp, that God, who knew no sin, would become our sin. He literally became all the lies that I've ever told. He became all the, the wicked thoughts that I've ever had. He became all the, the things that I've stolen. He became all the, the hatred that I've had and all the anger, the unrighteous anger that I've had. He became it all. That's pretty amazing. He became your sin and he became my sin as well. What else did he do? Well, he took my place on the cross and he died for me. And he did that for you too. It was me that should have had the nails in my hands. 
I should have had the crown of thorns. I should have had the, the spear piercing my side. I should have been tortured and whipped and beaten, but it was Jesus who was doing that for me. And as a result, we ought to be willing to live for Christ alone. Missionary C.T. Studd once said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You say, you know, well, you're, you're asking us to live for Christ alone. That's, that's a little much. Oh, really? <laughs> when you realize the price that Jesus paid on the cross for you, it is not asking too much. If Jesus Christ be God, and he is, and he died for me, and he did, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. What a powerful statement, and what a great truth. What else did Jesus do? Well, he took the place on the cross. He died for me. And then he also rose again from the dead on the third day. He didn't stay in that grave. Oh, no, he rose again. Which proves that he is indeed God. What else did he do? Well, he paid the price for our salvation. And and as a result, I, I no longer belong to myself. I belong to him. Same could be said for you if you're a Christian. There once was a story about a little boy who built a, a, a sailboat. He had it all fixed up and tarred and painted. It was just perfect. It was exactly, uh, exactly the way he wanted it. Well, sure enough, a wisp of breeze filled the little sail. And, and uh, well, he took it to the lake first and pushed it in, hoping it would sail. And, and, and yeah, this, this breeze caught the, the sail and it billowed and went rippling along the waves. Suddenly, before the little boy knew it, the boat was out of his reach. And even though he waited in fast and tried to grab it, he watched it float away, and he hoped that maybe the breeze would, would shift and it would come sailing back to him, but instead he watched it go farther and farther until it was completely out of sight. When he went home crying, his mother asked, well, what's wrong? Didn't it work? He said, it worked too good. Sometime later, the little boy was downtown and walked past a second-hand store, and there in the window, he couldn't believe it, there was his boat. It wasn't just any boat. It was the boat that he made himself. It was unmistakably his. So he went in and said to the store owner, uh, excuse me, sir, that's, that's my boat. I'm going to go ahead and take it now. So he walked to the window and picked it up and started to leave. And the owner of the, the shop said, whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute, Sonny. That's my boat. You see, I bought it from someone. The boy said, no, it's my boat. I, I made it. See, he showed him the little scratches and the marks where he had hammered and filed. And the man said, I'm sorry, Sonny, if you want it, you'll have to buy it. The poor little guy didn't have any money, but he worked hard and began to save his pennies. Finally, one day he had enough money and he went in and bought the little boat. As he left the store holding the boat close to him, he was heard saying, you're my boat. You're twice my boat. First, you're my boat because I, I made you. And second, you're my boat because I bought you. And you know, as you think about it, that's very similar to what happened with us. God created us, and, as, and, and that causes us to belong to Him. Then we were lost in our sin and our condition. And Jesus died on the cross to purchase us back. And when we believed on Christ, then He goes, you're twice mine. Once because I made you, and... Twice because I bought you. But as a result, that means that you don't belong to you. 
And I don't belong to me, I belong to him. Isaiah saw God for who he was and is. High and lifted up, if you recall in Isaiah chapter number 6. The thrice holy God of creation. And then he realized what he had done when, 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 when that seraphim cleansed him of his sins. And then he heard what he said. And Isaiah's natural response was, here am I, send me. I want to go live for you alone. What else did he do? He also made me a a brand new creature. Look in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As the song goes, the things I used to do, I, I don't do them anymore. Things I used to listen to, I don't listen to them anymore. Things I used to watch, I don't watch them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. Why? Because there's been a great change since I've been born again. And the song actually has a pretty catchy tune, but you, again, do not want me to actually sing it. So we see here the constraining to live for Christ alone. Because of who he is, because of what he said, and because of what he did. Paul said it best when, in, in verse 15, And then he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth love unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We are thankful for what he did for us. Thirdly, I want you to notice this, this morning the confidence of living for Christ alone. Those of us, those who decide to live for Christ alone can have a confidence that is unmatched. Proverbs 28, verse number 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. Basically, they're afraid, they're afraidy cats, and they, they, they just run away even when nothing's actually happening. But the verse goes on to say, But the righteous are bold as a lion. See, there's great confidence when you're living for Christ that is not there when you're living for self. See, the righteous are bold as a lion and the wicked run away at the littlest thing because they're always afraid. They're always looking over their shoulder. But those who are living for Christ alone can have a confidence that comes only from God. Andrew Murray once said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to Him. God is able to handle anything that comes into our life and He is ready to assume full responsibility for your life if you wholly yield it to Him. Proverbs 14 and verse number 26, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and His children shall have a place of refuge. Why can we have this confidence as as believers when we live for Christ alone? Well, first of all, I want you to see the promise of His presence. Because of the promise of His presence. He promises to be with us. He promises to go with us. Hebrews 13, verse number 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, the, the presence of God gives us that confidence to go forward. Matthew 28, verse 20, those who decide to take the gospel to a lost and dying world, uh, here's the promise of God, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. Those were the words of Jesus. So his, he promises his presence as we go forward for him and for those who live for Christ alone. 
One of the one of my favorite passages and, and, and a lot of people's favorite passages in the Bible is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But in that, in that, in that passage, most of you are familiar with, uh, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, then he says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He said, the reason that I don't have to fear when I go through the valleys of life is because I know you're there. For those who decide to live for Christ, you can have the confidence because of his presence. I think, secondly, because of the promise of his purpose. The promise of his purpose. Uh, most of us are familiar with Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good. Most people stop there. Most people say, well, isn't that a wonderful promise? The, 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 the challenge is it's a conditional promise. Because it goes on to say, we know all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. So in other words, those who are living for Christ alone. And for those who live for Christ alone can have the assurance that God's purpose will be done. And there's a peace that everything happens in their life for a purpose, for a reason, for, uh, for good. And by the way, we, we, we think the word good means everything's going to work together so that I can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Oh, this happened? I know, because one day I'm going to become a millionaire, and I'm going to be super famous, and you know everybody's going to love me. I know why this happened. It's going to work out for good one day. And I'll look back when I'm a millionaire and super famous, and I've got all these followers on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm just going to say, well, I know why the Lord allowed this in my life, because he wanted, he wanted to bring me to this point. And that's somehow a lot, of, a lot of Christians feel that way, and this is why God allowed that, so that one day I can have this great life. Look, the definition of good doesn't necessarily belong to us. It belongs to God. It is his definition of good. It is his definition of, of, of his plan being fulfilled. One of the most vivid illustrations of this truth is the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Here was a man who was hated as a brother. and As a result, he was sold into slavery. And then he was lied about as a slave, if you recall, there in Potiphar's house. Well, he was placed into prison and then he was forgotten in prison. As he began to interpret the dreams of the butler and the, and the other guy. Who was the other guy? Thank you. And he was forgotten after uh, they were released. And he could have felt like, man, this is just, this is horrible. My life stinks. But he maintained his perspective and his confidence in the promise of his purpose. You know, after some years, God placed Joseph in a place of prominence and influence. And through God's sovereignty, of course, Joseph and his brothers were reunited. And as Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he could have said so many things in that moment. You know, I would have thought about saying some interesting things. Like, got you right where I want you now, boys. Now who's the dreamer, you know, that you kept mocking earlier? He could have said so many things, but here's what Joseph said. And, and, and you can tell that it was in his heart because what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. 
Here's what he chose to say in Genesis 15, verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass is this day to save much people alive. You see, through it all, Joseph maintained his confidence that God had a purpose. God had a plan. And look, I know that, that, that things happen in our life that, that we don't necessarily invite or want. But God has a plan and a purpose. This past Tuesday, uh, my dad sent me a photo like he does every January 1st. He texted me this photo here that's on the screen. I get, I get a photo similar to this just about, well, for the last 21 years, every January 1st, I get a, a picture similar to this uh, texted to me. This is my mom's grave marker. Um, there in Lancaster, California. We're a little far to visit that. Now, but when we're ever in the area, I do go and visit that. I was 21 years old when my mom was taken to glory. And I remember thinking the day she died, it was just hours before she died, I went in the backyard and I began to cry and say, Lord, why is this happening? Why is my mom dying? I'm 21 years old. I'm going to Bible college. I'm trying to serve you. Why are you allowing this trial in my life? This isn't fair. Well, it was a couple hours later that God took her. And I'm thankful that now she's in the presence of the Lord. She's no longer suffering from the pain of cancer. Cancer is not part of her vocabulary any longer. No more pain. I'm thankful for that. You know, the, it's normal to ask the question, why? But God has shown me as I have tried to live for Christ alone, and I have not been perfect whatsoever, but... Through the years as I've been trying to live my life for him alone, he's been showing me the purpose for why he allowed that. Now, I may not know, I may not ever know all of the reasons why God allowed that to happen. And God is God and he, he, he doesn't need to explain himself to me. He doesn't owe me an explanation because he's God and I'm not. But the Lord has been gracious enough to show me through the years some of the reasons and some of the ways that God has used that in my life and in the lives of others. And you know, when you're living for Christ alone, even the difficult things that enter our life that we don't necessarily want there, God can use those. We can have the right perspective and the confidence that He has a purpose and a plan for everything in our life. Nothing, nothing is an accident with God. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God. Nothing is an accident with God. So uh, we have confidence because of his presence, because of his purpose, and also thirdly, because of his protection. For those who live for Christ alone have the promise of his protection. Uh, Nothing will happen to you, nothing will happen to me without the approval and allowance of God. Well, you say, well, okay, what about all those all the martyrs, and what about all the Hebrew chapter 11 people who didn't make it, who, didn't, who, who were killed for their faith? Well, Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 kind of answers the question when Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yeah, they might be able to take my life and my body, but they can't take my soul. That belongs to God. And so really, I have nothing to fear. I won't take the time to read it, but Psalm 91 is one of my favorite psalms. I have 150 favorite psalms. 
<laughs> There's 150 psalms, just in case you didn't get the joke there. But Psalm 91 is one of my favorites. And it does talk about how God does protect those who love him. That God does give charge over his, uh, the angels charge over thee. Uh, a story that we often share once in a while, my wife and I do, is when we were in California, my wife was pulling out of the church parking lot in our Nissan Altima. Well, trying to pull out of the church parking lot. The light had turned green right at the uh, exit of the church parking lot. Light had turned green. She pushed the gas pedal to go. Car would not move. Just then, she was kind of getting frustrated at the car. Just then, a car had run the red light right in front of her. Had she gone, car would hit the driver's side door right there. I, I, in my mind's eye, I, I, you know, of course, I didn't see it, but I picture a holy angel just standing there holding that car and saying, just wait, just wait a second, zoom. And then he said, all right, now you can go. And, of course, the car worked just perfectly after that car went by. God does protect those who live for him alone. I'm thankful for that. I want to share a story real quickly about a missionary named William Borden. In 1904, Mr. Borden, heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from a Chicago high school, a millionaire. Back in 1904, that was a big deal. In today's day, that would be a big deal. But in, two, in, in 1904, over 100 years ago, graduating as a high school, uh, from high school as a millionaire would be an amazing, was an amazing thing. Well, his parents gave him a trip around the world for his graduation gift. Not a bad gift. Traveling throughout Asia, the Middle East, and Europe gave him a burden for the world's hurting people. And riding home on this trip, he said, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. When he made this decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves. Turning down his high-paying job offers after graduation from Yale University, he entered two more words in his Bible, no retreats. So no reserves, no retreats. Completing studies at Princeton Seminary, Borden sailed for China to work with Muslims, stopping first at Egypt for some preparations. While he was there, he was stricken with a cerebral meningitis and died within a month. What a waste, you say. Not in God's plan. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written the words, no regrets. You know, as Christians, when we live for Christ alone, I would encourage us to have no reserves. I'm not going to hold on anything. I'm going to let it all go. I'm going to forsake all to follow him. No retreats. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. If we do that, then we, can have, we come to the end of our life, no matter how long or short it is, and say like William Borden, no regrets. Oh, there's a lot of people who come to their, the end of their life with a whole list of regrets. But you can avoid all that by living for Christ alone. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we do thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for who you are. You are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, blessed Trinity.